Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. I'm going to take a break from Acts, um, since no one's listening anyway, joke. <laughs> but um, the ladies are away, so because that's probably half the church right there, we're going to take a break from Acts and resume again next week when they're back. So, would you turn with me to the book of James... Slightly different to Acts. Acts, Acts, the book of Acts is narrative, and we're going to be looking at an epistle, the book of James, and we're going to jump in just, just to do a topical message in the text, and the, the, the message title is The Taming of the Tongue, The Taming of the Tongue, so it's going to be pretty practical and pretty applicable, it's funny. Um, we'll have a lot to talk about on Wednesday and Thursday, if you excuse the pun. James, chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through to 13. James 3, 1 through to 13. As you're turning now, I'm going to begin to read from the ESV. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that We who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. J. Sidlow Baxter said, One of the first things that happens when a person is filled with the Spirit is not that they begin to speak with other tongues, but that they learn to hold the one that they already have. 
This morning's topic is taming the tongue. James, throughout this book, is focusing on how to live as a Christian. And he highlights the importance of our actions as Christians, our verbal communication as Christians, our listening as Christians, our thinking as Christians, and our internal attitudes and motives as Christians. Not just what we do, but why we do what we do. And focusing in on today's topic, when it comes to this issue of verbal communication, James uses the word tongue or speech in every chapter of this book, either positively or negatively. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. In James chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Do not grumble. So we skipped that chapter 3 because we're going to look at chapter 3, or at least a main portion of chapter 3. The tongue or speech. Big theme in the book of James. Another mega theme in the book of James is wisdom. Wisdom. Godly wisdom in contrast to worldly wisdom. And here in chapter 3, wisdom as it relates to speech. James has been described, I'm sure you've heard, as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And he says in chapter 1 that when it comes to wisdom that we ought to ask. It's the only blank check that you will find in the Bible. Ask and keep on asking no matter how much you ask. God is willing to provide us with wisdom, it says in chapter 1, verse 5. And as always, past, present, and future, there are always going to be those who deem themselves as wise apart from the scriptures. We know that. But then there are those who appreciate the scriptures but still have an element of personal wisdom that they bring to the table apart from the scriptures. I will even put themselves forward as instructors. We looked at that when we done Acts 15 a few weeks ago. The Judaizers, the troublemakers, remember? They believed that they had something to bring to the table. But they were misled. Instructors and teachers they want to be, as it says in verse 1. And that's great. If you want to be a teacher or an instructor, as long as you meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 1. And James adds another obstacle, another hurdle in verse 1 
For those who are quick to want to become teachers, trust me, it's not a joke thing. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach, and here's the hurdle, will be judged with a greater strictness. Lord, help us. Notice how James includes himself in this heavily scrutinized group. And also a far from perfect group. Verse 2 says, for we all stumble, says James. And here we see him personify the meekness of wisdom that he will speak about later in verse 13. The verse goes on to say, verse 2, for we all, which also includes everybody else now. For we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, that is in his speech, he, James's thesis, is is, is, is that he is a perfect man. If you don't stumble in your speech, you're a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. See, if a person can completely control their tongue, they then can completely control their body. Is his argument. Now you might say, but that's impossible. Well, impossible, no. Improbable, yes. Apart from the perfect man, that is the Lord Jesus, who never stumbled, who never made a mistake. And that's because he never made a mistake in his speech. And he never made a mistake in his speech because he never made a mistake in his heart. Out from which came his speech. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says. For out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. So we can't just start with the mouth or start with the tongue. See we're going to see that. That is where the problem lies for us. That is those of us who stumble. Those of us who stumble in many ways. See, the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. And James makes reference to this in verse 14. If you just glance down at the verse, he talks about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Where? In the heart. And this is why this issue of the tongue is so important, because the tongue is a barometer for the heart. And although we are not perfect, and we are prone to get it wrong, we must aim to get it right. Let's aim to be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect. Amen? Now let's look at two examples that James gives with regard to the tongue and its relationship to the body, and then also our speech 
as it relates to our actions, really the same thing. And here's the first example. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, you know what a bit is. It's a small metal, small piece of metal that is placed inside the horse's mouth, right? A bit is called. There's another picture of a bit. It's a bit of an elaborate one. The guys that do equestrian, they actually have double bits so that they can get like maximum control of the horse. It's a bit. And then also you have the bridle. And the bridle are the leather straps that hold the bit in the mouth of the horse and are attached to the reins which are held by the rider. Now, obviously pulling to the right, pulling to the left, with a certain amount of attention, communicates to the horse what the rider wants it to do, right? I mean, if you know, a horse is pretty big in comparison to a man. Yet, the man, the minuscule man in comparison to the horse, gets that horse to do what it wants to do. I mean, if you know, a horse is, is not only big, but it's fast. Faster than a man. Not only is it fast, it's very strong. I lie. I'm scared of horses, I'll be honest. When I see the, when I see the policeman them clip-clopping past, not just because of what they leave behind, but honest, I've I, 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 I seen horses rear up and like kick for man. I'm not feeling that. You see their muscles in, the, in their shoulders and they're big, they're fast, and they're very strong, yet it comes under the rider's complete control. All because of a, a small bit of metal called a bit. Okay, verse 4 gives us the second example, and it's similar. He says, look at the ships also, he says. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, We've got a picture of a ship here. And to keep it contextual, and they've had no engines back then, right? So large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. You see the similar principle? This ship is large. <laughs> It's much larger than a horse. But it's not as fast as a horse, is it? It's much slower than a horse, but it's far more powerful. And it's not just more powerful, it's powerfully affected. Look, it's driven by strong winds. Yet apart from all of these factors, it's guided. It's directed, the text says. How? By a very small rudder. Two very clear examples of the small yet significant. Such is the influence of this relatively small yet awesomely powerful member of the body 
hold the tongue. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You know the little guy, metaphorically speaking, the seemingly insignificant contender, and to everyone's shock and amazement, ends up taking out the big guy. 20 seconds into the first round, this small individual who boasts of great things, before you be like, yeah, Joker, look at the size of you, for crying out loud. Takes out the, the, the larger, you're like, whoa, that weren't no empty boast. Such is the tongue. See the middle of verse 5. See how great a forest is set ablaze and potentially consumed by such a small fire. And the tongue, verse 6, is a fire. It's a devastating tool of destruction. It's like matches in the hands of a madman, like matches in the hand of an arsonist. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, says the authorized version. It's a world of unrighteousness. You have no idea. How about, how about this? I heard a man tell a story once about the fact that he was looking at a picture. And <clears throat> the picture seemed to be a picture of the moon, what with ridges and hills and craters. And you can imagine his surprise when he realized that he wasn't actually looking at the surface of the moon. What he was looking at when he actually zoomed out, it happened to be a magnified picture of the tongue. You see, without proper appreciation, we have no idea. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Please do not underestimate the ungodly nature and potential of the tongue. Listeners, verse 6 goes on to further warn us. The tongue is set among our members, staining, that is defiling, that is corrupting and polluting the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Now this is tricky. The word used here for hell is Gehenna. And it's the name for a valley dumping area just outside of the city of Jerusalem, also known as the Valley of Hinnom, which is where they would throw all of their rubbish and there was a fire out there in the Valley of Hinnom, in this dumping area called Gehenna. There was a fire that constantly burned and consumed all the debris. Gehenna, or hell. It's a, it's a symbolic name for the place of punishment, eventually, for the ungodly. Because the fires in Gehenna outside 
of the city of Jerusalem are never abated. They're constantly burning. Hopefully that will scare the Gehenna out of us. And it's from, check it, it's from this place that the tongue receives its inspiration to completely consume. This is a formidable enemy, the tongue. Never to be underestimated. Let's look at a few contrasts starting in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. The eagle, terribly terrifying, destructive creature. The eagle, the grizzly bear. I mean, the eagle, right? The eagle's got some talons on it. It can tear your flesh up. That's what they pick their prey up with. And their wingspan can be all five meters. Terrifying bird. Grizzly bear. That, a grizzly bear is, is one of those creatures that you would literally run for your life from. Yet you see them, don't you? You see them in a circus. Man's got it on a chain. Sometimes it's no chain. With a stick, getting it to dance around and, and skip around and, and twirl. Just like with an eagle, the man's got his glove and the eagle come down and just perch on his... How about the lion? <laughs> there was this thing, was it a year or so ago, where this man, I don't know what possessed the man, to climb and scale the fence of the zoo to go into the... Lion! King of the jungle. Terrified. Yeah, man tamed that. Even killer whales. Anybody ever been to Florida? I go sit and watch SeaWorld. The killer whales jump out the water and follow the lead of the instructor and get a couple fish and completely tamed. But verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. No human being, as great as we are with regard to, I mean, there was that guy, that crocodile man. Don't play with nature. Where we go to, in Jamaica, the place that we tend to stay when we go, they have a crocodile reserve. And as much as the crocodiles, I mean, they're not, they're, they haven't got them kind of twirling around and rolling around on the floor and doing, like, party tricks. But they're in a place where they're controlled. But look, as deadly as these creatures are, man can tame them, but no man can tame the tongue? You'd be like, come on now. That doesn't even begin to make sense, naturally speaking. No human being can tame the tongue. 
That means that we've got a real problem. And there are those who make mistakes, who say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Sometimes you can do it and get away with it. Sometimes people do it and the consequences are fatal. And sometimes these individuals, they, they don't really understand what we're talking about. They say loose lips sink ships. They may have heard that, but they've never heard this truth. Loose lips don't just sink ships. That's minimal in comparison to what the tongue is actually able to do. And maybe they've never heard the truth. Maybe they've never heard the Bible explained in this fashion. And they don't realize that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison like the fangs of a venomous snake. They don't know that. But, but check it, that isn't the person that James is particularly writing to. It's not writing to those who don't technically know the Bible. At the beginning of James, it seems like he's clearly writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to those who have a profession of faith. Look at verse 9. It clarifies my point. He says, with it, that is the tongue, we, what do we do? We bless our Lord and Father. And see, he's speaking to those who profess to relate to God. This is the only time this phrase is used in the Bible. That is this combination of Lord and Father together, which evidently is a direct reference to God. And it's a challenge. Because if we refer to God as Lord, then it presupposes that we would be submitted to him. If we refer to God as Father, it presupposes that we actually love him. Right? 1 John chapter 4 verse 20 then says, through to 21, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And just in case you think that you might be excused, that is to not love anyone who's not a brother, because evidently these verses are talking about loving your Christian brother or sister, right? Well, Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 and Luke chapter 6 verse 27 both say, love your enemies. And it's the Lord Jesus speaking. And that's who John is quoting in First John 4 with regard to this commandment we have from him. Same person. And we need to hear this. Because we, like James are all guilty, aren't we? With our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, probably this morning even. And with it, the same tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. See, 
We ought not to curse. That's the time when we need to hold our tongue. We should be saying something beneficial. We need to hold our tongue. Sometimes we feel the need to bite our tongue. At times we, we may feel the need to pierce our tongue. It's become very trendy to do that. That is, pierce the tongue, albeit for different reasons. But the Bible actually turns that around by saying that the tongue, that actually does the piercing. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword. My brothers, my sisters, he says these things ought not to be so. If you think about the Ten Commandments, we're often so guilty of breaking at least three of them, I was going to say without moving a muscle, but the tongue is a muscle, right? We break at least three of the commandments by using the tongue. The ninth commandment says what? You must not lie. Evidently, we use our tongues to do that and to bear false witness. Ninth commandment. The fifth commandment. What's that? Oh, man, we've got, we got to take you look back to children's church. We've got these pictures for all of the commandments that helps you to remember the commandments as you look at them. Like the tenth commandment is um, it's a, it's a ring, like a, like, a, like, a, like a diamond kind of ring. And then you've got a, a lady standing next to it. It's her ring. It's the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. And it helps you to remember you mustn't look at somebody else's stuff and want it. The ninth commandment, the nine, is lying down. So it's a lying nine. Ninth commandment, thou shalt not lie. I won't go through all of them, but if you want it, we can hook you up still. Just check Neil around the back. The fifth commandment. The fifth commandment. How often do we dishonor our parents by the things that we say? Let alone the things that we do. The third commandment, which is what? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now very often you get the impression that taking the Lord's name in vain is, is, is saying Jesus Christ when you hit your thumb with a, with a hammer accidentally. It is in a sense. But fundamentally that's not what the third commandment is saying. It's taking the name of God to yourself like I'm a Christian. Oh, for real? Yeah. So, as a Christian, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that I follow Christ. I take his name upon me. I follow the living God. That's me. That's who I'm repping. That's who I'm representing. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, it's all right when you're all right. But what happens when you're all wrong? And people are looking at you thinking, but wait a minute. Ain't that the same person that said, you're a Christian? What you've done is, you've caused others to possibly, potentially blaspheme the name of God because of your unfaithful representation. You took the name to yourself, but you took it in vain. What's, what's the, why did you take the name if you ain't really repping that name? 
You've taken the name of the Lord your God in vain. But, as I said, just to, to, to use the name of the Lord Jesus in the same way you would use a four-letter expletive, that's not Shelley. The, the name of the Lord of glory, taking the Lord's name and use it, using it in empty fashion, only to have... Remember, remember, he's talking to believers only to have the Lord Jesus say, wait a minute. Why do you repeatedly call me Lord and you do not do the things that I say? Now, thank God for forgiveness when we flop. But, but in the name of the Lord Jesus, may this not be a perpetual habit in our lives. Why do you call me, why do you, why do you repeatedly call me Lord and not do the things which I say? Now, if we're talking about adultery, big things. You know what I'm saying? If we're talking about murder, big things. But there's a book that I've got just last week, I haven't begun to read it. And what was it called? It's called um, Respectable Sins. And the sins that we commit, that, yeah, they're not really that bad. They're respectable. It's like, I mean, come on now, everybody does it within a Christian community, right? So what's, the, so what's the deal? Well, Jesus says, you repeatedly call me Lord and you do not do the things which I say. It's synonymous with hearing and not doing, which is one of James's like big points in his book. Foolishly constructing a house on sand, unlike the wise man who built his house on the rock. I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. The man who built his house on the rock heard the word. But the scripture says in Matthew 7 that the, the man who built his house on the sand heard the word. That's why we're saying this ain't people outside who don't come here. Who don't fellowship with the saints. Because them out there don't hear the word. Do they? Who does? We do. Don't think that when the parable talks about the narrow road and the broad road. It's making a distinction between Christians and unbelievers. No, no, no. Just like the wheat and the tares. They grow together. Many of the parables, if not all of the parables, are talking about true and false conversion. Read Matthew 7 if you don't believe me. Hearing and not doing, that's building on sand. Hearing and doing is building and constructing on rock. James encourages us in this letter not to deceive ourselves but to be doers as well as hearers. May God help us with these respectable sins. May God help us not to be hypocrites. And particularly, as he says at the outset, those of us who teach, 
I mean, you lot are going to get yours. But oh my goodness, I'm going to get mine differently. The Lord will be like, okay. Hmm, right. Well, you knew better, innit? Should have done better. Second Corinthians 5. Read Second Corinthians 5 about the fact that we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not, this is not a hell issue. This is not a salvation issue. Unless evidently you're actually not saved. But it's standing before the Lord. And that ought to encourage us. That ought to encourage us to be careful how we use our tongue. Knowing that we're going to have to stand before him. Now that's you. Me now. Oh my gosh. It's like. Robert. I need to see you. In my office. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a different level. Of judgment for me. Than it is going to be for you. That's why it says. Not, let not many of you become teachers. It's a stricter judgment. And let me tell you. Trust me on this. You might hear this and not come back. You, may, you might hear this and get offended. I'm sorry, but I'll be honest with you. If I wasn't convinced that the Lord had called me to teach his word, I would not be doing this job. It's just that I'm concerned that if I don't obey him, that's probably a worse disobedience than obeying him and then flopping and falling and stumbling from time to time. But... People who want to run up into ministry, they watch too much Christian TV. They see man up there with, with his ready-made suit, with his motif and matching ring. People see that and they, let me tell you something. This ain't something to try and hold onto or grasp after if the Lord ain't giving it, if the Lord ain't calling you to it. Because it's no joke. Ask Pastor P, ask Pastor E. And that's why very often we covet your prayers. Because we're in a position that is very challenging. Now, and it will be then, I'm like, Lord, God, help me. Philippi? Yet... God calls and God equips. And you know that that's our desire here to see others mobilized and equipped and enabled. And like it says in 1 Timothy, it's the word of God that's going to do that. It's able to fully fit and furnish the man of God for every good work. So we continue to look to the Lord for his grace. But may God help us not to be hypocrites. Verse 11, as we finish. Does a spring put forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers and my sisters, you can hear him pleading. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? The answer is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The answer is never. See, naturally speaking. But thank God that we have a supernatural God.
See, apart from the power of the Spirit, none of us can be anything other than hypocrites. Because it's our bent. Can we? We can't be anything other than that. Verse 8 says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's like, why does the dog bark? Huh? He barks because he's a dog. He can't do nothing. Why do sinners sin? Because they're sinners. We're sinners. Now that doesn't contradict what it says in Romans about God enabling us by the power of his spirit not to walk in sin. In Romans 6. But that's our propensity, isn't it? That's our proclivity. And I tell you, without the power of the Spirit, we're finished. We're finished. Therefore, this ought to cause care, concern, caution, carefulness. Especially when our inconsistency is highlighted and exposed in verse 9 with, re- with regard to hypocrisy. We bless the Creator and we curse his creation, one another. This is inconsistent. This is hypocrisy. We've all done it. And in so doing, we've sinned. And we need forgiveness. Shall we pray? We might just want to take a moment just to think about how we've used the tongue or how the tongue has used us. We think we've got a great big body, we should be able to control our tongue. But you see, the tongue is attached to the heart. And the heart is desperately wicked. Bible says we need to guard our hearts with all diligence because out of the heart come all the issues of life. The Lord Jesus said it. Forget about not eating this or keeping the Sabbath or rituals and rites that you think are going to make you holy. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Eating this type of food, that's not the issue. That goes into your stomach and it comes out. The problem is not what goes in. The problem is what comes out, particularly from the heart. Father, we present our hearts to you this afternoon. And like David, we say, Lord, search our hearts. And I'm not even going to say, see if there be any wicked way in it. Lord, we know there is wickedness in our hearts. And we lay them out before you this afternoon. And we thank you because... Although negatively, our tongues are like the piercings of a sword. Father, your word, in contrast, not to bring damage, as our words sometimes do, but your word comes like a two-edged sword and separates and divides soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and the intents of our wicked hearts. Lord, expose our hearts 
I thank you. No one else can see my heart. But Lord, you see my heart. And I can't see my brothers and my sisters' hearts. But Lord, you see their hearts. And Lord, in community we say, Lord, cleanse our hearts, we pray. So that we can go on not to misrepresent you. So we can go on not to be hypocritical. To be pretenders, to be chameleons. One thing here and another thing there. Say one thing and do another. Lord, we desperately need your help. This is an, it is an important issue that James, your brother, Lord Jesus, your brother, your half-brother James, highlights. Because he lived with you. And he knew what it was like to see you never put a foot wrong, never stumble, never a hurtful and painful word and he felt it he felt the conviction of it lord help us to feel the conviction of that as we look at you in your perfection help us lord our desire is to be like you forgive us lord thank you for communion and the opportunity to take that this morning lord thank you that many hearts have already been cleansed but lord are there hearts, Lord, that still are hard and unyielding, Lord? Overwhelm us, overcome us in our wickedness, Lord, I pray. And affect and change our hearts today, we pray. For Jesus' sake.